Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, brother, we've been doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and we're just kind of going to jump right in today. Uh, today, we are on the third of the Ten Commandments, uh, yeah. which has to do with God's name. Let me go ahead and read that for us. This is coming from Exodus 20 and verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Mm. That's uh, that. That's that's a big one, and um, and and I think we often apply that very narrowly to to just uh, cursing, which I think it, it's worth addressing that because a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, but I think it goes beyond just um, just just saying bad words with with God's name in it. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, you talk about cursing, and I think immediately, well, you know, what comes to my mind if I didn't know better is, well, what Christian does that? But in reality, we're going to have to address that too, because there is sort of a kind of growing, I don't know, segment of, and and it's largely in the Reformed camp, it seems, yeah. a group of Christians who think it's okay to use foul language. Um, I mean, we even have pastors who are doing this from the pulpit occasionally. And so, um, yeah, so we'll hit on that too. Something I never really thought I'd have to deal with, uh, especially in our circles, but it seems to be kind of born out of this um, may, may, maybe old, young, restless, and reform type movement who uh, sort of taken on th these sort of things. But you're right. It doesn't just in, in include that, right? And uh, let me read another passage that just as we get rolling, um, gives a little bit of weight to the seriousness of this command, because I, I think you're right. People will instantly probably think, well, you know, I don't use foul language. I certainly don't curse. And, and so I don't say, you know, those words that we historically would say, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You can't say that. Um, or the modern text version, OMG, right? right. Um, you know, I stay away from those things. And But by the way, besides those things, is it really that big of a deal? Uh, I, I get uh, not making false gods. That's a big deal. I get uh, not worshiping other gods. That's a big deal. Not making idols. I get not murdering. We haven't gotten to that one yet, but that one's a pretty big deal, right? But how big of a thing is this one really? Well, Leviticus 24, so just four chapters later in verse 16, says this, Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall, shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And so that is quite the penalty based on blaspheming the name of God, not only God's people, but even the aliens who would live among them. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, that's something to consider. Um, yeah, and when we think about the word blaspheme, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, blaspheme, when we see it used throughout the Bible, it is most uh, predominantly used uh, to uh, uh, really profane God, profane God and, and His name. And and when we think about also the name of God, we, we tend to think of just labels, right? Uh, we, we don't think in terms of the way it's used um, across the Bible, and especially in Hebrew culture, the word name is a lot more than just a label. It's, it's, it's the character. It's what's associated to that person. It's the will and, and the personhood. 
Um, and we have this to some degree when we say something like, um, well, you know, um, to to use your last name as an example, well, the last name Jolly must must mean something, you know, because if you build a reputation and and you you are known for certain things, then then your your name starts to carry much more than just a label, and it's a little bit of that idea, except um, even more um, fully fully blown out, I would say. And so when we think about blaspheming the name, um, it's really not only just um, saying curse words about God's name, which is certainly blasphemy, but it's also attributing to God anything that is untrue um, or or taking, I would say, what belongs to God and attributing it to someone else, right? So um, when the nation of Israel, um, barely 40 days after receiving the Ten Commandments and some of the uh, initial instructions, um, what happened? They go and create golden calves, uh, at least one golden calf. And um, and what do they do um, after Aaron creates the golden calf? He says, here's the God who delivered you out of Egypt, and he gives the name Yahweh to that golden calf. So in essence, I would say he committed the sin of blasphemy by attributing God's name to someone else and God's actions to this idol that had nothing to do with God himself. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's one of the 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 first things that we need to ask when we look at this commandment is what is meant by the name of God. And and you said that very well because I think we do often only think of the words, you know, God or Lord or Jesus or maybe Jehovah. Um, and then we think, okay, as long as we don't use those words, then yeah. we're not taking the Lord's name in vain. But you're right. I mean, God in using using the human example of our name just gives us you know a little bit of an illustration. But it's even more so with God because God can't be separated from His attributes. He is His attributes, and so when we think of uh, things like the Omnipotent One, well, that's who God is. Um, when we talk about God's you know, uh, om- omniscience and God's omnipresence. When we talk about those attributes, which in some cases could be used as metonyms for God Himself, those we also must consider when we're talking about God's name. Anything in Scripture that's that God uses to make Himself known, or or which He defines Himself by, whether it's an attribute or you know a, a, a name or a title. Yeah. Um, all of those things would be included in this commandment. And so that really broadens the scope and sort of the picture when we're talking about violating uh, the third commandment, right? Um, it, it, let's get into some of those things. What kinds of things are violation? Well, Scripture lays out a whole bunch of them that are even outside of just attributing God's name to an idol um, yeah. or the kind of OMG type things. Um, if you go to Leviticus 19, you know, so a chapter before, it says, you shall not swear falsely by my name so as mm-hmm. to profane the name of God, the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so when we swear falsely yeah. by things, in other words, when we give an oath or when we give a promise, right, uh, and, and that is linked to our faith in Christ, and it's not a meaningful one, it's a false one. Um, that's blaspheming. That's taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Yeah, because you're you're swearing by the name of God that you're going to do something. You go back on it, which means that the thing that you're swearing your promise to didn't mean a whole lot to you. So, in other words, that's how you took God's name in vain. Don't use the Lord's name 
as part of a promise unless you in intend to keep it. Now, uh, for us as Christians, we shouldn't be making any promises unless we intend to keep it. Just the fact that we are Christians um, already shows that we answer to a higher authority and we should be walking in the way of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think of um, just when Jesus Christ told his disciples how they were to pray in Matthew chapter 6, um, he said, this is how you are to pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that word hallowed is is holy, it's it's separated, it's to sanctify the, the name of our Lord. So you start off your prayer recognizing that God stands alone and that he is holy and glorious. And then I, I reach into, I reach forward into that verse because what I think of also in Leviticus is right there in chapter 10, when the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu are consumed by fire, um, immediately yeah. what does Moses say to Aaron? He said, it is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. So just like what Jesus said, hallowed be thy name, holy be your name. We want to treat the name of God as holy. And it, again, it's not just the label, it's mm -hmm. him, the personhood, the character and 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 the will and, and all that he has revealed about himself. Um, so they were consumed uh, as they had uh, lifted up strange fire um, because they had done something that was not commanded by God. Yeah. And, uh, and and so they did not regard the name of the Lord as being holy. And that's exactly what Moses said to Aaron. And it says right after that, so Aaron kept silent because he had no response to that. He said he he he, he knew Moses was right and uh, God was justified to do what he did. Yeah. And I mean, that's a huge deal. And it's interesting because Nadab and Abihu, they they knew what God commanded. Yeah. Right? They knew what they were supposed to do. And and this I mean, this is. A kind of a side lesson, but when we talk about worshiping God and right worship, here's a good example here. God has expectations of how he wants to be worshiped. We don't just get to flippantly do it in any way. And when we do, when we worship God in a way that he does not desire to be worshiped, we're blaspheming him. Um, and in this case, it costs them their lives, right? Um, yeah. and, and so it is actually a very serious commandment, not one that we should just take lightly or for granted. Now, you know, thank God that we don't stone, uh, you know, people for this today. Um, but it should just the, the fact that that was part of the law for the people should just, you know, let us know how very important this is to God. Um, yeah. it, you know, another way that we find this is in false visions and prophecies. Um, yeah. Now, we don't see this so much in our circles, but, you know, currently the largest growing part of the so-called Christian church is the charismatic, yeah. the, the charismatic Pentecostal yeah. wow. movement. And, and I think of all the things we could say about this, one of the things that is very, very prevalent is the constant violation of the third commandment uh, in that movement. Because when you say, the Lord showed me, the Lord told me, the Lord talked to me, the Lord gave me a dream, um, and it's false. In other words, it's not from the Lord. And we know that it's not because God does not do that primarily today um, as, a, as a normative. Uh, then you're violating the third commandment. I mean, you're actually saying, God told me this. I'm... I am giving this word or this prophecy or this dream, whatever it is, in the name of God. In other words, I'm putting authority right. on it by using his name. And when that's not true, and it's not for today, uh, then we are taking the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, it's not to say that 
God couldn't speak to someone. But I do believe this, that uh, especially for those who claim to be prophets and, and apostles who come and say that you need to hear this word, you need to hear this word. Um, the problem is that in every single instance um, of whenever I did listen to whatever the content was that they brought forward, um, it wasn't biblical. Um, it wasn't anything that you could tie to scripture. And if you can't tie it to scripture, then basically what they're saying is that they have extra biblical revelation that's necessary for you. And thus the Bible itself is no longer sufficient. Um, I, I do believe that if the Lord were to speak to us um, or use someone to speak to us, a messenger of some sort, if it's something that uh, that has to do with uh, morals or Christian living, then whatever is being said should be consistent with what's already been revealed in Scripture. We should be able to point to a, a book, chapter, and verse that says, well, this is where we get that. And so for us as Christians, and at least for me and I, I know you as well, the only time I'm going to say the Lord told me is if I'm quoting Scripture. And, and I'm actually reading scripture. This is what the Lord told me. And let me go ahead and read it to you. And it's just like what um, Justin Peters like to say. If you want to hear, um, if, if you want to know what the word of God says, read it. If you want to hear um, God's God's word, then read it out loud. Right. Um, so yeah. it's, it's the same kind of thing. I, I would never say that the Lord said unless I could point it to here. And some of these folks, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, I think I think some of these folks are just grifters. I think a, a lot of these folks are are, are just looking for money. Um, they're, sure. they're looking to take advantage of, of the faith. There are some who I believe are sincere, but they're sincerely deceived. And it has to be it has to be taken very seriously when someone says that this came to me from the Lord and it really didn't. You know, Deuteronomy 18, the whole um, testing a true prophet, you know, this is how you know it, someone's a true prophet is that if um, if they speak the word and it basically it comes true, but if they speak the word and it did not come to pass, then you know I'm not the one that spoke to that person and you may stone that person. Yeah. And, and here's something else to think about. You know, we talk about Nadab and, and Abihu, but how about Moses himself? Moses was prevented from entering into the promised land. Okay, Moses yeah. was beloved by God. He was uh, exalted in, in the sense of, you know, he he knew God face-to-face uh, -face in, in a close kind of sense. And, uh, and so, so they had a very intimate relationship. And, and the Lord said on at least a couple of occasions that, that Moses is special. But when we look at Numbers chapter 20, this is the, um, this is the, at the, the waters of Meribah when the people are complaining that they don't have water. Um, verse 11 says, then Moses lifted up his hand, struck the rock twice with his rod. Water came forth abundantly in the congregation and their beasts drink, drink. But just before that, he said, listen, now you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? So Moses was pretty upset. But then after all that, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. So the whole issue there was the way Moses conducted himself. Um, he, he did not treat the name of, of the Lord as holy. And for that reason, he was prevented from entering the promised land. Now, there's no doubt he's in heaven. We're going to we're gonna see him and, and we're going to be able to meet him when we get up there. But he was prevented from going into the promised land. And when you read through the first five, especially the book of Deuteronomy, you will see at various times just how badly Moses wanted to at least get to the promised land. He yeah. wanted to be able to see it. And, and God said no, uh, because of this one sin. There was no other yeah. sin um, that we're aware of that was attributed to Moses uh, during that entire from from the time that they got out of Egypt and, and uh, to the time that they're on the verge of the promised land with that second generation. This is the sin that kept him out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and like you said, Moses saw God like no man has ever seen God. Um, and still there was a consequence for his yeah. really blaspheming in that instance. And so it is a big 
thing. And it, let me just back up and clarify. When when we say things like it's not that God couldn't ever do, we're not saying God still does this as a regular right. thing today. We're just merely acknowledging that God in his sovereignty, if he wanted to do something unusual, he certainly could. Yes. Um, but we are, you know, we're cessationists. I'm cessationist. Um, God used those people and miraculous gifts and miraculous ways for a certain time period for a certain reason that has been completed, that's been fulfilled, and God does not speak to us that way anymore. And just to put some scripture behind that, and we could go through more, but I don't want to take up too much time. You go to Hebrews chapter one, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways in these last days, that's the days we're in now, he has spoken to us. In his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world. Um, and of course, the record of all the teachings of his son is where? In the Bible. It's finished. We have it. Um, so, like you said, if you want to hear Jesus speak, open your Bible. If you want to hear him speak out loud, then read it out loud, right? But um, back to the commandment, this is a major problem, though. Since God is not doing this as a normative, because the office of prophet and the office of apostle has ceased today, they fulfilled their right functions. Anyone who is trying to operate or function in those ways is actually in violation of this command. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, I came out of the charismatic church, and I would just appeal here momentarily, if I may, to those guys who maybe are in the charismatic church, or if you're listening and you have someone in the charismatic church, look, I realize that you've been taught that whatever comes to your mind, um, you just trust that that's the Holy Spirit. Or if you have a dream, you just trust that's the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to tell you, trust in what the Word of God says. Because everywhere we see in Scripture, there is never a single person all throughout the Bible. And, and this is a realization that I myself had to come to. There's no one in all of Scripture who is confused about when God may or may not have been speaking to them. Um, and, and so this idea of whatever just comes into our mind uh, must be God, the moment you proclaim that, you're in violation of this commandment. You are actually blaspheming the Word of God um, if it is not, in fact, the Word of God. And since He no longer speaks to us in those ways, almost inevitably, it's a violation of the command. Um, so, let, let's move. Any other further thoughts on that? I mean, but this is a big one because this is the fastest growing part of, quote-unquote, Christianity, and it's worldwide, Right. All right. Yeah. And you're a cessationist. I would probably call myself a practical cessationist. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, look, I'm not putting it outside the, uh, the outside of the uh, power and, and the will of God um, to, to bring back a prophet. Uh, Revelation does talk about two who come back as, as a prophet, as prophets. Um, but here's the thing. If they're going to be prophets, they need to be held to the standards uh, of prophets. And uh, so far, everyone that I've met who has claimed to be a prophet, uh, typically within, to be quite honest, with, within the first minute, I know that they're not a prophet just from what they're they're saying. I know right away. And uh, talking about some of these supernatural and spiritual gifts, and I know this is not the center of our conversation, but as another example, like the um, like the gift of tongues, um, I, I have not seen any evidence that the gift of tongues has continued on to today. Now, that is not to say that um, that a missionary in the middle of um, some areas surrounded by people um, who speak uh, the, the native language and that missionary doesn't, that, that's not to say that God can't miraculously use that individual in that moment to speak in a tongue to those people. 
Um, but that's not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was a gift given to the individual that they could freely, freely exercise. Um, the instances where I've heard where missionaries have done that, it was a one-time thing and it never came back. Um, so we do acknowledge that God is a God of miracles. He can create miracles at any time according to his will and purpose. Um, uh, but the gifts as he has, um, as he gave out, um, to that uh, initial generation of the church, um, I do believe has, I, I do believe has ceased. Uh, and just practically speaking, we just hadn't, we haven't seen that pattern matched, um, ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah 23, 25 says this. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name saying I had a dream. I had a dream. Um, and, and so we see that false kind of prophesying yeah. tied to, um, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. And so we want to be really careful. Now, in our camps, we also just need to be very careful with our language. I think when we are talking about God's providence, um, sometimes we talk about God's providence in a very similar way, as though we know what God is doing. Mm. Um, and and so I think we need to be very careful with that. I, I hear the language and, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard it where I thought it was intentional or malicious or anything like that. But I think sometimes we get very careless with it. And when we're talking about God's um, inner workings, when we're talking about the inner counsel of God and what he's doing in the world around us, I think we just need to be very cautious um, so that we don't cross over into presumption. Because the truth is, we have a very, very small understanding and picture of what God is doing. We know what he's doing uh, in accordance to what he's revealed in scripture. Beyond that, it, you know, first of all, providence is best seen hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, and, and even then, all we can do is best kind of see um, the, the circumstances and kind of gauge what we know of God's character and personal ways revealed in the word. Uh, we need to be careful of saying God did this or God did that because we don't always know, um, yeah. you know, and in, in the sovereign scheme, uh, in the sovereignty of God, we can attribute all that happens to fall under his sovereignty, but we should just be careful with that language uh, and how we use it, I think. Yeah, it's, um, we, the book of Job, I think, teaches us that, right? I mean, when you go through the book of Job and you yeah, see all of his yeah. friends and they're, they're, they're constantly uh, lobbing all these false uh, guesses uh, and uh, presumptions as to why Job is suffering. Um, and at the end, uh, you know, Job just wants to know from God, why did you do this? God didn't answer. He basically says, look, I'm the creator and you're not. And, uh, and, and the lesson out of all of that is that God does as he pleases, and we merely just need to trust him and to continue to worship him, which, by the way, Job did an incredible job of. I mean, just reading through that first chapter and you get to the end of that first chapter, even after everything was taken away from him, what did he do? He, he got to the ground and, and he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a, an incredible response that we don't often think to give ourselves. But in that moment, that, that was a great example of Job treating God's name as, uh, as holy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the heart behind this is not to be legalistic or nit nitpicky. What this all of this ought to be born out of a heart to so admire and lift up God's holy name and, and out of reverence that we don't attribute anything that might be false or untrue to his name. Right. Um, and, and so that's the heart behind this is just that we recognize that God is so holy that he's so perfect, that he's so righteous, that we never want to attribute something uh, to him that doesn't belong to him. Yeah. And so that should create in us an appropriate cautiousness uh, when, when we're talking about these things.
Yeah, Isaiah, I, let me, a couple of verses that come to mind. One, one is Isaiah chapter 6. That's when Isaiah had a vision of um, being in the temple with God. And, and he saw, had a vision of God. He saw the angels surrounding him and they were chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as they're chanting about God's holiness, uh, Isaiah has a vision of God's glory. And, and the effect that it had on Isaiah was to really drive him to his knees and beg for mercy. Um, he, he said, woe is me, for I'm a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of un unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. And it was only then that an angel came and touched his tongue with a piece of coal and said, your sins have been forgiven or something to that extent. But I point to that story because when we really understand the holiness and, and the, the glory of God, which often come hand in hand, but we understand the holiness of God. And, and the effect that the real effect that it had on the people of God, such mm -hmm. as the prophet Isaiah, I, I think we um, we often don't think high enough uh, of God's holiness. And in thinking of His holiness, that's what we mean by by the name of God. Uh, and once again, Jesus Christ saying, "Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name." Mm -hmm. um, the, the second um, instance that comes to mind is in Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, and of course we yeah. we all know about um, you know uh, Ezekiel talks about. How, G how the Lord is going to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's going to pour out our, his spirit, you know, uh, upon us. But, um, but also this, you know, before that great promise of having that heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, you know, starting in, and I'm just going to read verses 16 to 21 from Ezekiel 36. Um, we see that Israel, um, is guilty of profaning the name of the Lord. And to profane literally means to make common. It's to make something, turn something that's holy and treat it as common. So verse 16, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore, I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they defiled it with their idols. Also, I scattered them among the nations. And they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. And verse 20, when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said to them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where I went. And then he goes on to say that because of my holy name, I am going to vindicate my holy name by bringing salvation to the Israelites. Mm. And so the holiness of God is not only that perfect standard that we all fall short of, that's Romans 3.23, but it is also the very reason why God actually acted to save us. And so the holiness of God's name is treated with the highest respect throughout scripture and so this is why we want to be very careful about when we use the the, the name of of god and you know you mentioned omg and and that's one of the modern day ways that people blaspheme because they say it without really giving it much thought right now there's a way that you can say it and it's not blasphemy we're, we're yeah. not treating that as formulaic that if you say these words it's automatically blasphemy but if you say these words flippantly without actually addressing the Lord and thinking in terms of his holy character, um, then yes, it, it is a form of blasphemy. But yeah. it gets even more serious than that as all these examples we're pointing to, uh, false prophecies and attributing them to God, um, not treating the Lord's name uh, as holy, not obeying it, um, taking it upon yourself to disobey him and, and those kinds of things. So this is, in many ways, this is um, at the center of um, of a lot of what went wrong with the Israelites and what goes wrong today with people that defile God's name.
Yeah, and I, I think as we go along, you know, it's kind of starting to get the feel that uh, taking God's name in vain really sort of creeps into just about all of the way we live the Christian life, right? Because it's not just about whether or not you use the the, the text OMG or these particular words, but in the very things that we do, um, the very things that we attribute to God, um, the way uh, just the way we live the Christian life, and and here's the reality, and I think th- this is something that just struck me as I was kind of contemplating and getting ready for the podcast today. In reality, because we profess publicly to be followers of Christ, anytime our very life doesn't reflect the character of Christ, we are in fact blaspheming God before the world. And that, I mean, that ought to be a, a, a sobering thought. Um, just a very sobering thought because by saying we're Christian, we're saying we're reflecting the character of Christ. Uh, at least that's part of the, the, the profession, right? Um, and, and so the world would look at us and say, if the world can look at us and say, um, attribute lying to Christ because look at all these lying Christians or whatever XYZ sin is, in that we're blaspheming God's name because we're represent, representing right? Christ on the earth before the world. And so it's a very solemn thought, I think, right? At least it was for me uh, just sitting there kind of thinking, whoa, uh, that's, 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 you know, that's a big thing. Um, You know, it's interesting. Leviticus 21, six kind of speaks a little bit to that says, um, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God for they present the offer. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. But anyway, we'll talk about that one anyway. Uh, Leviticus 21.6, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. And I, just, I put this one here just to really illustrate not only what we say, but what we do, right, has to do with, and that's really what we're talking about, everything that we do in the Christian life. Um, could really come back to and affect whether or not uh, we're taking the Lord's name in in vain or not. And of course, we have other passages that's, that talk about how the Gentiles uh, mock the name of the Lord because of the right. sinfulness of the people. Right. And that's that same kind of thing, right? We profess Christ. And so if by our life, we deny the profession of our lips, we're really profaning the name of the Lord before an unbelieving world. Yeah, we, we call ourselves Christians, and in that word Christians is Christ. Um, that's pointing to Jesus Christ. Um, that means we are his disciples. That means we are his followers. And even within the body of Christ, uh, we, we observe the Lord's table um, this past Sunday at our church. And uh, one of the things that um, I, I brought up was uh, that, you know, Jesus said to us, you know, he said to his disciples in John chapter 13, that they shall know you by your love for one another. And when we come to the Lord's table, one of the things that we want to think about is, are we united as a body of Christ? Have we been there for one another? Have have we, um, or have we taken advantage of each other the way the Corinthians did that, that led up to that exhortation from the Apostle Paul? First um, Peter chapter three says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Um, sanctify, same word as to make holy, to to separate Christ as Lord in your hearts. In this case, being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So even as we talk about Jesus Christ, we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I know we're kind of going back and forth here, um, but the, the name is holy, and, and it has an implication upon our lives. It has an implication in terms of how we are to live. Um, it's like Romans chapter 12 
uh, verses one and two that that talk about how we are to offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Right, so we um, we we want to be we want to live as children of light. That's in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter four or five. And as living as children of light means that we expose the deeds of darkness and we seek what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, so there there are characteristics, as you are you are saying that that are connected to what it means to be followers of Christ, to be Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we could go on and on and give all of these examples. Um, and so I think as we we consider this one, in reality, where we might have thought it's one of the easier ones on on the outset, it, no. it's really not, right? Mm-hmm. And and where we might sometimes be tempted to think that, well, because we're under the new covenant, things are a little bit easier, maybe we're not as prone. I would say that this is one of the ones that, in, in fact, w- w- we never get away with and we probably constantly violate. And I would say that just by nature, of the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in us and we take the name Christian, anything and everything we do that isn't holy and righteous, in fact, takes God's name in vain and and parades it before the world. And so anytime we sin, really, we're in violation of this, I believe. Um, if you just look at what it means and if you if you take it to, if you understand it to be more than just whether you use Jesus the right way or the, the title Lord the right way, when you look at the attributes and when you look at the fact that we're representing His name, when we sin in those moments, we're violating this commandment. Um, and, and so I, I think that ought to give us just a very weighty sense of the holiness of, of God and his name and what, and what that means, all of his attributes, anything that God would use in Scripture to describe himself. Um, uh, you know, un- unlike us, God can never be setru- separated from any one of his attributes. Right. And so when we're looking at those, it, it, we're still looking at God's name, right? You know, and, and, so, and, and yeah, and I, I would add, we are not only um, uh, very quick to actually break this, this law in, in various ways, um, but even the way we may accuse someone else of it, we have to be careful of. And, uh, and I think about just the life of Jesus Christ himself. Um, the Pharisees um, accused him of working through the power of Satan, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and Jesus Christ said, you know what? That blasphemy against God the Father and God the Son will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was involved in those works. And they were taking the very works that belong to the Holy Spirit, who is part of the Godhead, and attributing it to Satan instead. But then not only that, but when you think about Jesus Christ ultimately going to the cross, the charge that the Jews ultimately brought against him was blasphemy, um, that, uh, that, that he had blasphemed the name of God. And, and they, they really accused him of that. And I've been going through the book of John. You see it all over in the book of John um, because Jesus was uh, claiming to be um, the son of God and, and claiming God as his own father, making himself equal to God. And so they believed that Jesus Christ was blaspheming the name by making himself equal to God. But actually, Jesus would have blasphemed the name of God by not making himself equal to God. Yeah. Um, so he, he would have said something that was untrue, but, uh, but actually he said what was actually true, that God the Father sent him. Everything that he says was given to him by God the Father. His will and God the Father's will were completely inseparable. Um, and on top of that, Jesus Christ, uh, his word will be what judges us um, in the end times. And yet their blasphemy um, then they turn around and accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and and that's what ultimately led him to the the, the cross uh, in terms of that uh, that that uh, false accusation 
from from the Jews. So it is a it is a command that we want to take very seriously not to break, but also realize that it has been flippantly used to send our own Lord to to the cross. Yeah. I think that brings up a really good point. Um, and, and, and the point is how cautious we ought to be um, when we are condemning others for what we think is sin. Um, because if it is not sin, we are actually violating this commandment. You know, so, and what I mean is uh, if someone is operating out of truthfulness and they've done something, whatever it is, or said something, whatever it is, and it's actually in line with Scripture and it's a reflection of, of who God is and His truth, and, you know, we say that it's slander or that it's vile yeah. or that it's malicious, we're actually disparaging the name of God in their actions mm-hmm. by being wrong. Um, when, it, if in fact it was actually a righteous action or or, or a true thing, right? Um, but, yeah, and that just that ought to make us think very carefully. Um, and, and I know even in in our own circles, sometimes we can be very quick to call you know people of certain persuasions, um, you know, who align with certain political ideals, and when they say things, we can be very quick to dismiss them as uh, being slanderous or, you know, being vile or whatever. And oftentimes it's true, but it's just to say we should be very careful in that when we bring an accusation, we can support that fully with the word of God. Because if we can't, we may find ourselves fighting against God uh, and and blaspheming what he does. And it just kind of reminds me of the incident in Scripture Right. Um, where this comes up in the disciples. Right. And the Pharisees are having this conversation about trying to shut them down. And I, I think it was was it Gamaliel. Right. Who said this? You right. can correct me. Yep. Um, who basically says, you know what? If it's not of God, it it'll basically yep. disappear. But if it is of God, you may even find yourselves fighting against God. Yeah. Um, and I, and Wise I think words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they didn't and, listen to it. They, they, they didn't listen to his counsel. Yeah. And so I think e- even for us, when we're looking at those things and we're making judgments and we do have to make those uh, those calls, we just need to be very careful lest we find ourselves um, supporting, not not being able to support the accusation with Scripture and it be more an, of emotional thing. And we find ourselves violating this commandment out of a false accusation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And um, and and I think Old Testament, New Testament alike. When you read it through, you you see this um, as really treated um, with the utmost of of um, severity um, by the Lord our God and and uh, our our Savior Jesus Christ um, and and the Holy Scriptures. And and at, at, to your point, I, I think what we're finding is that this is one command that um, that that really um, has overlap with just about everything else. Right. I mean, everything we do, especially from our intents and and uh, and how we represent the name of God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ, um, has some kind of overlap with how we are treating the name of our Lord. Now, I, I do want to, and I don't know if you're you're going to talk about the, the the cursing that that's so common in in society. Um, I, I do want to take a moment to address the the cursing, unless you have anything else you want to add on top of that. No, no. Let's let's go for that. I think we're at a good place for it. So the, the the cursing, and this is the most common aspect. We see it all around us, and and obviously for for Christians, we we shouldn't be characterized by this. We we should not be um, using profanities to begin with. Um, but I think when we look at the world around us, um, what is absolutely fascinating in a grievous way is that the majority of curses often involve the name of God. 
um, whether they're using God or, or Jesus Christ, um, you, you're, you're going to hear all kinds of uh, variations of curses from a lot of people who say that they don't believe in God, from atheists, from those who are not Christian and whatnot. And so it's interesting how often uh, unbelievers will actually use a, a name of someone they claim not to believe in. Um, but use it as some sort of curse as if as if it has some sort of power. And what you don't see is you don't see them using, uh, at least I haven't heard a whole lot of curses that were directed at, for instance, uh, the, the the false gods of other religions, the the god of uh, Hinduism or, or or Buddha or Gotama or any of those uh, Siddhartha or any any of those uh, those guys. Um, but I often hear it directed towards uh, the the God of the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we we need to be mindful of those things. And, and again, I mean, it it comes back to with the the way we speak, right? If we're imitating the yeah. word, if we're imitating the world, if we're saying to the world, "This is what the character of Christ is," again, violating this commandment. Um, it, it is just interesting how this commandment really infiltrates the entirety of the Christian life because we are attached. Uh, to the name of Christ. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. Um, it, it, you know, I was thinking of, we're, we're preaching through um, Ephesians right now, and I've spent the last, I don't know, maybe four or five Sundays talking about the office of an elder and the qualifications. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not exactly related, but it's, I find it very interesting in, in the qualification in Timothy that talks about not being addicted to wine. That that phrase and those words actually mean not to be associated as a drinking man or with alcohol. Uh, it's not talking about the prohibition of it, but it, but it's very interesting because um, the office of an elder, one who people should look to as a representation of Christ likeness and be able to like Paul, right? They should be able to like Paul say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The concern there is that he's not affiliated with world worldliness, right? Um, and so it's not even that uh, it, it's not the abstinence of alcohol in that case. It's not even necessarily that he takes wine, but the passage is concerned that he's not even associated with as a drinker, right? Yeah. So he's not someone who's going into bars. He's not doing Bible studies at the local pub. He's not, you know, if someone were to talk about him, it, 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 what wouldn't come up is, oh, yeah, he's a guy that has to have his little glass of scotch every single night. Uh, it's not concerned with drunkenness. It's concerned with association. And, and this commandment, is concerned deeply and intimately with association because the name of Christ is attached to every believer. And so we, we shouldn't even be attached to worldliness and, and worldly ways of doing things like the language we use, right? Uh, like, like the shows we watch. Um, I, I think how often do we blaspheme God's name by the filthy shows I hear believers watching and i can't think of any of them off the top of my head i don't watch tv but um oh yeah yeah so like the the game of thrones uh, show or i don't know there's been several right um that you know you read reviews for and you're like oh my goodness really oh my god please help these people right Right. not in a i I wanted to uh, that's a good place to use oh my god when you're like distraught i mean but really i have heard of believers and in my heart just sunk and thought, Lord, please help the church Um, because we think it's acceptable to get together and watch these things that are just so filthy um, that when the world sees we're engaging in these things, 
what are they attaching to your name? Yeah, I've, um, and to use that example, um, I've never watched um, one second of um, any of those episodes from Game of Thrones. But it was interesting. I, I have um, uh, someone, I, a friend from high school, Unbeliever. Um, I still keep in touch with them. I, I do sp share spiritual realities. We have spiritual discussions often. Um, but he watches the Game of Thrones, or he did, and, and he enjoyed it. And he even messaged me and said, he said, hey, man, you, you should really watch this this is a really good show really good storyline and then he and then even before i got i could respond he said but you probably can't because of the things that they show on there so even an unbeliever as an unbeliever he knew um as he's watching it he knew this is something that i couldn't watch and and but he was also quick to say it, it's it's too bad because a lot of the excesses in the in the movie or in the show sorry the series is it, it it's not even necessary for the storyline and, and that says something as well, that so many of the stories that are being told in these TVs and shows, um, the, the excesses are, are not even necessary to tell the story. Um, but, but people want it. Um, that, that shows you just how much yeah. of a, how much of an eager desire that people have to, to hear such vile language or to see such, uh, such violent, immoral behavior. Yeah. When an unbeliever recognizes that we shouldn't yeah. be doing the things we're doing, we shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be doing it. Right. right. When it right. is that obvious and that clear. And and so I think, you know, as we consider this command, we wrap up uh, the this podcast episode, I think just realize that because we are we take on the name of Christ by virtue of who we are Christians, that that this command should be foremost in our thought. Right. What are we what are we attributing to God and what what are we proclaiming his name to entail before an unbelieving world based on our own actions and our own yeah. lifestyle? And, and again, um, this is not out of some legalistic thing. This is, you know, this is the holy God of the universe we're talking about. We just step outside tonight and look at all the stars if you don't have clouds or the ocean, or the fields, wherever you are, just look around, um, and, and this God just spoke all of this into existence. Yeah. I mean, this is the God that we're talking about, right? And so, how careful should we be when we're using either his name, or his title, or an attribute that is inseparable from his name and who he is, um, or, or our own actions, which is tied to his name because we represent the king, while we're here on earth and and out of our great love um for him we ought to be very cautious to this now we've talked about the law and as we like to do in all of these episodes we want to end it with the gospel and it, here's the reality if you're listening to this particular commandment and you're thinking i fell at this and clearly i fell at this all the time in all kind of ways well, you're right. Um, and, and the law is meant to bring judgment on us. The law is meant to demonstrate the wickedness of our sinfulness, just how much of a sinner we are. And of course, because God is a holy and just God, God demands um, that there be a penalty for failure, for the violation of these commandments. Because he's just, right? And we wouldn't expect any other judge to give an unjust penalty for, for a wrong, and so neither does God, and he does it in a perfect way. And the penalty for any one violation of these is eternity in hell, and we've all failed, and we've all fallen short of these. And so the right and only good 
um, justice for us is that we spend eternity in hell. And that's that's the law, and that's what it's meant to do, and it's good. But, and I, I love that phrase in Ephesians, but God, and this is where the good news comes in. God saw that we could never live up to this from the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden when sin came into man. But God loved us so much that he made a way that we could be rightly reconciled. He made a way that this penalty could be paid. He didn't do away with the penalty because he wouldn't be just if he did that. But he made a way that the penalty could be rightly paid and attributed to us. And he did that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus came fully God, fully man. He lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He fulfilled it. He completed it in every way, every perfect way so that he could be deemed the righteous one. And that righteousness when he died on the cross was attributed to us, right? His propitiation, his righteousness was given to us and he took on and bore our sins and our punishment uh, so that that penalty could be paid. And so when we put our faith and trust in Christ, when we repent of our sin and we lean on Christ and trust in his, um, his sacrifice and for our faith and our salvation, God is good and just to forgive. And that, that is the only forgiveness we have. That's how we have forgiveness by having faith and trust in Christ. So there you have the law and the gospel. Anything Amen. you want to add to that, brother? No, I think that you said it well. Um, put your faith into Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Only in him will you find eternal life. Well, guys, we hope that this has been helpful to you. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.